0: I don't know if some of you know this, but I hate horror films. Just the thought of it scares me. I hate seeing trailers pop up at the cinemas when I want to watch a movie. I hate the crazy masks you find in supermarkets during Halloween season. I just hate it. And I know I'm not alone. Maybe there are some of you who would like to join me in that crusade. I just don't get it. (laughs) It's not like the plot lines make any sense. And yet horror movie creators know that there's lots of money to be made. When I was in high school, my friends were convinced they could change me. They could make make me a horror film fan. So they made me watch Chucky, all three parts of it, to overcome my fear. Needless to say, nothing changed. In fact, it only increased my fear. I was afraid that Chucky would pop out from under the bed or would be standing in front of the window, staring and waiting for me to wake up to kill me. The story that we're about to look into tells the tale of a demon-possessed man, a man who was a torment to the city of Garasnes. To the many souls in this town, this man was their live-action horror film haunting their cities, tormenting their people. And yet for this man, with no hope of freedom, his life was about to be changed forever. If you remember the book of Mark, or maybe you're reading the book of Mark right now, you'll notice that the first section of the book is all about Jesus displaying his authority. He displays his authority as being greater than John the Baptist. He displays his authority by calling people and they follow him. He displays his authority in his teaching. In fact, this section in Mark 5 is not the first time Jesus heals a demon-possessed man. He's already done that. Jesus displays his authority in his healings. And just before this section, Jesus has been displaying his authority as the Lord over the wind and the seas. What do you make of Christ's authority? I wonder how often you've glanced through the sections in the Gospel and you go past it. You see all the section about Christ describing and displaying his authority, and it doesn't seem to make much impact in your life. Yes, Jesus was displaying his authority to reveal that He's the Son of God who's come to take the sins of the world. But the kind of authority that he was displaying impacted the people he was with. Jesus and his disciples have arrived in Gentile-occupied land. This is a, a land of people who had no promise of salvation. And yet in this land of great darkness, the light of salvation has appeared. So as we walk through this text, we are going to watch Jesus displaying his authority again. But I want you to pay attention to how people respond to his authority. In order to do that, I want us to work through three sections. We look at verses 1 to 5. We'll consider the life of this demon-possessed man. And then we look at verses 6 to 13. We'll see the mighty power of Jesus. And finally, verses 14 to 20, we'll consider the new life of a transformed man. Maybe all of that is too much. If you're looking to make notes and you're looking for something simple, we'll look at the old life, then we look at the mighty power of Jesus, and then we look at the new life. Let's look at that first section, the life of of this demon-possessed man. There's not a moment of rest for Jesus and his disciples. As soon as they step out of the boat, chaos is waiting. Jesus is met with this demon-possessed man. But unlike previous sections in the book of Mark, he gives us a lot of detail about this man. Look at verse 3. This man's life was in ruins. He lived amongst the dead in a graveyard. He was a hazard to society and was forced to live outside the city. Verse 4. He was completely uncontrollable and extremely powerful. Two combinations you want to be far from. Verse 5, night and day howls and moanings could be heard outside the city walls. I mean, could you imagine being one of the fishermen whose job was to go out early in the morning to the Sea of Galilee to catch fish? Wondering, will the demon-possessed man come and catch me today? What about the children? I wonder how the children would have felt hearing these howls in the night. Well, consider the agony and the torment this man was under. This man carried in him a legion of demons. A a legion would have been the Roman military unit for several thousands of men. Just imagine that. Imagine a life lived like that. Imagine the great conflict in in this man's body and soul. This man was so deranged that he was willing to cut himself up to take up his own life. My friend, this is the work of the devil. We may not encounter demon possession much like this today, but we shouldn't take the devil's work for granted. The devil is powerful. John 10.10, the devil is described as a thief who comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Something we're witnessing already in this man's life. John 8.44, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. Peter warns Christians in 1 Peter 5, 8, Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. From the beginning, in the garden, the devil's desire has been to taunt God's people and cause them to disobey and distrust God and his word. One of the ways we see the devil's work in the life of the believer is by trying to get us to turn away from obedience to God and His Word. Beloved, you and I are susceptible to this. If God's Word is not of first importance in our lives, the words of the evil one will sow deep fruits of disobedience over the long haul. So remember that the next time you turn away from reading God's Word. Or when you might maybe find God's Word to be boring. we're honest, some of the descriptions here of the demon-possessed man are things we, could, we can relate to. Maybe you're not a Christian and, you, and your friend has brought you here. Let me ask you a couple of questions. Are there some choices you've made in your life that have left you feeling shackled and broken and ruined? Do you long to be in control of your life and yet you wake up feeling like you have no control at all and your life is falling apart? You know that deep appetite for control, and yet your lack of control altogether reveals the deep ruining effects of sin. Sin says, I want control, not God. But you were never meant to be in control. We were made for God. And as such, we were made to live under His blessed rule and control. So unless you turn away from your pursuit of control, and turn to the one who has real power and control, your life will continue to feel this way. Brothers and sisters, is there a pattern of hidden sin in your life that you are holding on to very clearly, closely, that has this overpowering control? It calls out to you. It torments you. It tells you that you are in control, that that you know what you're doing. But actually, it's like gangrene, eating you up slowly. You tell yourself, no, I've got this. Nobody needs to know. Beloved, you are forgetting the gospel. You were never able to fix your sin problem. Jesus didn't come to die for sinners who can fix themselves up. Jesus came for those bound up by their sin. Those roaming around and loving the darkness. He has come for those who long to be freed from the shackles of sin. He sees our deep sin and he doesn't turn away. Rather, he comes and offers true freedom. So if you're hiding, why are you hiding? Why would you hide your sin from the word of light, Jesus Christ? Turn away from your sin. Repent, run to Jesus, bring your sin to the light and find grace in him. You know, to truly live in light of Christ's authority means giving up our own authority and control. And like the demon-possessed man, this cannot be subdued by our own efforts or by getting someone else to help us. The demon-possessed man needed divine intervention. We need divine intervention. He needed the power found only in Jesus. And so do we. Let's consider the mighty power of Jesus, verses 6 to 13. Mark takes us to the thick of the action after describing the life of this demon-possessed man. We are being drawn into this power battle. And clearly, Jesus has more power and control than all of the demons locked up inside this man's body. Consider the five ways we see Jesus' power displayed. Number one, verse six, the demon-possessed man sees Jesus from afar and immediately runs towards him and falls at his feet. Like ministers who bow down in the presence of the king, the demons fall down because they know they're in the presence of one with far superior authority and power. Number two, look at verse eight. Unlike the people afraid of confronting the demon-possessed man, Jesus is not afraid. He has no need to hide in fear. Rather, he confronts the demon-possessed man. And this is invasion. Jesus is the one with real dominion. Number three, where where the people have tried all sorts of things to control this madman, all Jesus had to do was open his mouth, and his words subdued this man. In fact, look at verse 7. His words have the tormenting power to drive out demons in this man. No one else could do that. Jesus' single blow of torment will knock out the demons for the years of utter torment caused to this poor soul. Verse Number 4, consider the identity of war verse 7 these demons clearly identify that jesus is not some mere man he is the son of god the son of the most high from other sections in scripture we know not to be surprised that the evil spirits know who jesus is they are fully aware they are in the presence of god whose identity doesn't shift or change look at verse 9 because of the demon possession This man's identity has been changed. Once a man, maybe with a name, a home, a life. Now, in utter control by an army of demons. The one and only Son of God, the Most High. The one true God up against an army of demons, and the verdict is plain. Jesus wins. Lastly, look at verse 10. Look at the way they begged Jesus, firstly to stay in the region and then later to be sent to the herd of pigs. If they want to do anything in the presence of the Lord Jesus, they need his permission. One author puts it this way. The destructive power of the sea that almost sank the disciples' boat now swallows up the pigs. Jesus, who had just demonstrated his dominion over the sea, doesn't need to know the names of these evil spirits or the kind of power they have to drive them out. The demons fall victim to their own design and tumble headlong into chaos and death. And all this because of Jesus. There's a chain around this roaring lion. And he can go only as far as the Lord will allow him. What what should we do? What should we do with such display of authority and power from Jesus? Well, consider one of the songs we sing so often in our church. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal diadem and crown him Lord of all. You chosen seed of Israel's race, you ransomed from the fall. Hail him who saved you by his grace and crown him Lord of all. See, this display of Jesus' authority demands full allegiance and worship and humble submission. But I wonder if, for some of you here, worshiping God looks a lot like the demon man, demon-possessed man, demon man kneeling at the feet of Jesus. You might recognize who he is. You might even recognize that you must worship him. But where, but there are some areas in your life that you would much rather tell the Lord, don't torment me here. Don't challenge me in this area. Maybe someone's been saying something like that to you. Maybe someone's been pointing out sin to you and you're refusing to listen. Can I say that that is not humble submission to God? That is worship according to your terms. And that just means you're really worshiping yourself. Christians, maybe there are some of you that are overwhelmed by the fears of life. that you just have forgotten God's promise. Let me remind you of some of God's promise in Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and my foes, it is they who stumble and fall. When army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war rise up against me, yet I will be confident. The psalmist's confidence is in the Lord. The Lord who is the light, the Lord who is the salvation. Look, the power displayed in this section is great. But we have a far greater display of God's power at the cross. Jesus Christ pays the just penalty for our sin. And then he rises up from the grave according to God's power, offering grace and forgiveness of sins and everlasting life. Saints, when our fears rise, And we feel powerless. We can find great comfort when we turn to Jesus. We look to the cross and find rest in his great power. Let me speak to you if you're not a Christian. Maybe you're coming to terms with your life being much like this demon-possessed man. Maybe you're coming to terms with the fact that you are utterly hopeless and in sin. Don't just stop there. Don't stay there. Go to Jesus. Go to the one in whom you will find real freedom. Freedom from your sin. He offers forgiveness and freedom from sin's reign over your life. And that's exactly what we'll see in our last section. Let's look at verses 14 to 20 and consider the new life of this transformed man. The moment the battle has ended this man has been set free from being known as the demon possessed man he's now known as the one who had have the legion the transformation of this man is a great picture of biblical conversion just consider the transformation from a madman roaming around the tombs with uncontrollable power to a man brought to sitting at the savior's From a man cutting himself up and likely naked. Now he's a man in his right mind and dressed. Can I say that when we come in contact with Jesus' authority, we believe in it, we trust in Jesus, true conversion will produce true transformation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Anyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Beloved brothers and sisters, we should pay attention to encounters of miraculous transformation in the Bible and use that to think about our own conversion. To use that to think about the gospel, the mighty power of the gospel. We were chained to sin and our lives were in ruins. We weren't just waiting by the tombs. We were spiritually dead. But then Jesus came. He broke the chains of sin and death, and he saved us. So maybe if you might struggle to even pay attention to the gospel, the gospel seems like boring news. You might not be considering your sin and the work of Christ enough. Use God's word to remind you of his gospel. That's what we need. I remember talking to a classmate who would attend our campus Bible studies when I was a student. He came to all of our discussions. In fact, he would even come to our conferences. And it really seemed like he was ready to make a profession of faith. But I kept studying God's Word, hoping that the life and Word of Jesus would either have a transforming effect and reveal a heart for salvation... Or a conforming effect, revealing that he was lost in sin and loving it. Then we came to 2 Corinthians 5. I talked about what it meant to be a new creation. It didn't mean that we changed overnight. But our old life no longer appeals to us in comparison to our new life. He stopped me right there and said, Shannon, I don't want that. That's not what I've expected from Jesus. He wanted both his current way of living and the salvation Jesus provided. Look, you can't have Jesus' salvation and not have his lordship. There's no living on the fence when it comes to God. True conversion should lead to a changed life because of the work of Christ. We now have a new heart and a new master who we long to serve. So let me ask you guys, do you see evidence of change in your life if you've become a Christian? Could you look back to this past year and identify the ways in which God has grown you? Or have, have you not changed at all? Maybe, maybe you're just stagnating. Can I encourage you to talk to somebody about it? Asks. if you if you can't see that for yourself, ask a, a good Christian friend to help you identify that. Even now we can seek the Lord to help us grow in Christ. Story doesn't end here. This massive transformation has this ripple effect into the neighboring towns and cities. Look at that. Look at verses 14 to 17. The herdsmen just lost their livelihood and they ran to tell the people. Likely they told the cities, look, your stock of meat is all gone. It's out in the ocean. People must have assumed, oh, it's that mad demon man again. But to their surprise, it wasn't this mad demon man. Actually, this mad demon man was sane. He was sitting at the feet of Jesus. A greater power has arrived. But what should have been good news of great rejoicing has rather produced fear and a refusal of Jesus. They might be glad to be done with this demon menace, but they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, the Lord who drove out the menace from their city. And so Jesus decides to leave. He will not stay any longer where he's not welcomed. Believers, it should come as no surprise to us then When our families and our friends just don't understand our conversion or the new way of living that we have chosen to live for God. It makes no sense to them because they don't understand Jesus. They don't desire the Savior. Mark then turns our gaze back to the man who's been set free. Verse 18 tells us how he would much rather be with Jesus than go back home all his life. All he has ever known is shame and torment and ridicule. But because of Jesus, he's received love and mercy and grace. So when the townspeople are begging Jesus to leave, this man begs Jesus to allow him to be with Jesus, to travel with Jesus. What a good desire, isn't it? And yet for the first time, Jesus doesn't grant a request like this. You know, there may be times in our lives when we've made requests to God, requests that might even be good, and yet God, yet God doesn't answer us, doesn't give us the answer we want. God is not like Alexa or Siri, listening to us, listening to our questions, and seeking to find answers for us. Do you remember the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12? Speaking about the torment he was facing, he says, I pleaded with the Lord three times it would leave me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Charles Spurgeon helps us think through this by saying, God is too good to be unkind, and he is too wise to be mistaken. And when we cannot trace his hand, where we cannot see what the Lord is doing, or maybe God is not giving us what we want, we must trust His heart. Trust your Savior. This transformed man makes no fuss. The Savior denies His request so that He would go back home and share the good news with His friends about what the Lord has done. Look, He doesn't respond by saying, you know, I just came to faith, Jesus. I'm a little young in faith. No, he responds in immediate obedience. That's another marker of of one living under the authority of Christ. Obedience. A Christian obeys the Lord. No matter the request, he knows how great the price which has been paid for his sins. And so the natural outworking of worship is obedience. And that comes about through the Spirit's work in the life of the believer. This is a no-negotiation obedience. I wonder whether some of us need to grow in that. One of the ways we grow in our obedience is in evangelism and sharing the gospel. Jesus invites people like this man and people like you and me to proclaim the amazing news of deliverance. We must trust him that he can work through our fears as we build relationships to share the gospel with our non-believing family and friends. It means that when we come to sections like this that talk about evangelism, the answer shouldn't be, well, I'm going to leave it to some other people to do it. It means we pray and we ask the Lord for boldness. Maybe if you're here and you don't know where to begin and you want to share the gospel with some non-Christians, consider maybe even writing down two to three names, non-Christians in your life. Maybe write them down now. And at the end of the service or tonight, pray that God would give you an opportunity over the summer to share the gospel with them. Pray that the Lord would make you bold. Maybe you could use this passage to teach them about what Jesus says and what Jesus does and how he saves. Maybe you want to think about how you can use your testimony to share the gospel, pointing them to what Christ has done on the cross. And how he has delivered people like you and I, who are enslaved from the bonds of sin and death. Church, can I say that in our post-COVID world, it can be easy to be so consumed by the many challenges, the many troubles and problems that our world is facing, the troubles that we might be facing, that we might be blurried to the call to share the gospel. COVID or no COVID, what people most need is salvation found in Jesus alone. Look, maybe you're not a Christian and you're here and you're still curious about the gospel. Find one of the members of Covenant Hope Church. Ask them to go out to dinner with you and get them to explain the gospel to you. It's going to be a really easy way for both the Christian and the non christian for us to learn to share the gospel, and for you to hear the gospel again. Beloved brothers and sisters, a life lived under the authority of Jesus Christ means giving up our own authority and control over our lives. It's a life that seeks for Jesus to transform all areas of our lives. It's a life lived in humble submission, full allegiance and worship, It's a life filled with joy, knowing that we've been set free. And that this joy produces joyful proclamation and ongoing obedience. Jesus had a plan in taking the disciples across the Sea of Galilee into the storm and then into this Gentile region. He planned to go there with the light of the gospel, bursting forth into the land of darkness but he goes back, leaving a messenger with a task. What a great message he has in his hand. What saving power and mercy he has to tell. That every kindred and every tribe on this terrestrial ball, to him, all majesty, ascribe and crown him Lord of all. Oh, that with yonder sacred throng we at his feet may fall, will join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your great work of saving sinners. Father, we we recognize, we come to a passage like this, that this describes our lives. We were chained to sin, bound for, for death. But then Christ appeared with salvation and forgiveness of sins and it was his death that meant life for us oh lord i pray that we would consider that we would consider how your authority has impact on our lives pray this for your name's sake amen